Wonder Things Studios proudly presents Archivos Brainstorms, episode 122. You've tuned into the Archivos Podcast Network. I'm Marie Bilodeau. And I'm Dave Robison. And you're listening to Archivos Brainstorms. On Archivos Brainstorms, we invite writers to come on to the show and pitch a story idea to us and <laughs> our esteemed guest host. <laughs> and then we dive in or fly up looking for that strange beauty, that magic of writing, bounding from airship to airship, diving into the mist, chasing the story down, the great timeless pursuit of creating literary gold. Literary gold, baby. Yes, I see what you did there. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Marie Billado, a delight to have you back in the Archivos Virtual Studios. Ma'am, you were missed. I missed this too. I am glad to be back. Thank you for keeping the chair warm. Although next time I would appreciate it if you did not set it on fire to do so. <laughs> it's been cold. I didn't know what else to do. I had to, and I had some kerosene. It was just one and one makes fire. That's just how it works around here. So I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> well, speaking speaking of smoking hot, see, there's a segue for you. Let's bring our, our guest host back on, dear friends. Uh, fresh from a fabulous Archivos Insights of of just seven days ago. Uh, uh, please welcome back to the big comfy chair here in the Archivos Podcast Network, Michael R. Underwood. Uh, Michael, it's 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 like old home week when you come back. It's like a, it's like a family reunion when you're <laughs> back in the studio, man. Thank you so much for making the time. I, I love this. There is really nothing in the world that's quite as much fun as helping another storyteller take what they already have and make it far more awesome. There really isn't. There really isn't. I couldn't possibly agree more. And 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 the fact that we get to share that experience not only with our listeners but also with writers like you and Marie and I get to participate. It's it's a win 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 all the way around. <laughs> and speaking of which, Michael, you've you've got some awesomeness coming up. So I'm just gonna just I, I already am am gonna sit back and relax. And as I ask this next question, what's coming up in the world of Michael R. Underwood? <laughs> and sit back. Yeah. So the biggest thing is definitely Born of the Blade, which yeah. launches on April 18th from Serial Box Publishing. If you didn't listen to the interview section, it's a epic fantasy serial where if you subscribe, you can get the ebook and the audiobook of every episode every week as it releases like a TV show. So you get an episode on the 18th and then every Wednesday until the season is over and it's 11 episodes. Um, it is inspired by works like Avatar the Last Airbender, Babylon 5, and The West Wing. So you've got magic, sword fights, diplomacy, intrigue, friendship, personal agendas, kind of big agendas, being caught up in the fate of nations and trying to guide things in a way that is kind of better for you and those you love. And I'm working with a great team that includes Marie Brennan, Cassandra Kaw, and Malka Older, who are all amazing writers that you should check out their kind of individual stuff. Mm -hmm. And it should be a great ride. The other stuff I have coming is I have a story in Hath No Fury, which is uh, an anthology that's coming 
I think it's going to be in June or maybe May from Outland Publishing. It was from a Kickstarter, and that will be a new genre knots story uh, starring Sharin, who's the team's kind of fixer. And then uh, what else? Everything else is still kind of in the the brainstorming plotty plotty uh, stage because I'm only two days into full timing it as a writer and not having a day job. <laughs> so I still have a, a vast constellation of options and I haven't quite yet decided where I want to reach out my hands and kind of pull the stars and make them into cool. <laughs> but you've, you've got some time. You've got some grace. I think, I think everybody gives you like three months to, to get your act together uh, when you make this dramatic transition uh, for your for your own writerly goodness. So All that's, right, so July 1, have act together. Have act together, yes, exactly. <laughs> no your, pressure, but there's pressure. Stuff in a pile. I didn't realize <laughs> that uh, uh, a cereal box subscription included both audio and ebook. That's fabulous. Yeah, and the audio that they do is great. The our narrator is Exy Sands, who is also the narrator for Book Burners, which is the kind of the first Zero Box series. And they have a theme song for Born of the Blade. Oh my there, god. And there is like an enhanced audio background sound. So in the prologue, it's a heavy rainstorm so you get rain sounds they have sword sounds they have magic sounds they have monster sounds oh, that's cool yeah so it's it's definitely an, a value added audio experience outstanding that is very very cool see now see I, I've, I've enjoyed cereal box productions in the past but i've never subscribed i've always kind of binged once the book comes out but now I'm, I might. I, I think this might be the time when I actually change my my modus operandi and sign up because that sounds fabulous. That's awesome. What uh, what kind of conventions are you hitting this year, Mike? So this year I'm looking at. Uh, there's a, a new con called Universal Fan Con in Baltimore uh, mm -hmm. that is starting this year in April. So I'm going to be attending that. I'm not on any programming, so just going as a person. But then I'll be at the Nebula Awards and conference. I'll be doing Balticon and then Worldcon in the summer. A little bit fewer conventions because I'm not going to be doing stuff for the day job. And then I'm currently looking at attending World Fantasy, which is also in Baltimore, but that's not until November. Okay, awesome. We're going to be seeing a lot of each other <laughs> over the coming year, Mike, and that's not a bad thing because <laughs> we're, we're going to be at, of course, Balticon and the Nebulas. We're going to be at Worldcon. We're hitting Gen Con. Uh, we're also doing the American Library Association Conference in uh, mm. uh, New Orleans at the end of June. Uh, oh, cool. and, and we're going to be making the scene at CanCon in Ottawa. Yeah. In, in, in October. In October. Why? <laughs> I'm, I'm scared. You're scared? No, it's good. It's good. It's before uh, all the snow falls down in Ottawa. Okay. All right. So we won't be in 12th winter by then. Excellent. Michael, I will make sure all of that gets into the liner notes, man. Marie, what about you? What's coming up in your world? So I've got, uh, publication-wise, I've got some stuff later that will be... Uh, Announceable right now. The only thing I have on the slate is, um, it's very exciting though, is uh, part of Julie Trinidad's Tales of Plexus yeah. coming out in December from Daw Books. So I have a short story in that. It's a fun caper. Um, that's it on the writing for now. But I do have a few cons coming up. Some of them pretty fast, actually. I feel like maybe I should get my acting gear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be at CritCon in Toronto on April 27th to the no, it's April 28th. 
There's no 27th to the 29th. It's the 28th. That's part of me getting my act together. So I'll be there on April 28th. Um, and also I'll be the weekend after that, I'll be in Montreal at Boreal, which is, it's, it's a French convention, but it is very bilingual as well. And they do have a small uh, English track as well. So if you're in the area and you're uh, intimidated because you don't know enough, you feel like you don't know enough French, first of all, never feel intimidated by that. And second of all, uh, there is, uh, there is an English track with some fun guests as well. Uh, and that's on May uh, the 5th and the 6th. So that's going to be a fun one. Uh, and I'll be there the whole time. It's going to be great. Awesome. Yeah. And then of course, CanCon. Yeah, I have CanCon in October. <laughs> Disclaimer, I, I'm a co-chair and uh, it's awesome. You should come. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then World Fantasy. So I'll see you both there. Outstanding. Actually, I won't be making yeah. the World Fantasy scene. Oh. I, will, I will be, I will be, by, by the time CanCon rolls around, I'm going to be spent. I'm just going to like, ooze into the holidays and 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 yeah that's 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 my plan that's my you'll plan. be done and that's i will. I, I support that my friend uh, I, will, I will watch my- the awesomeness of world fantasy from afar through the twitter feeds <laughs> and the facebook posts michael and i can have a nice drink to in your honor oh, we can do that lovely. for you that would be lovely <laughs> awesome very cool well that that of course is all going into the liner notes and i'm making that is a, a contract. You're going to have a drink and salute me. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> for now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd love to pause uh, and give a little podcast airtime to our uh, uh, patron, of course, Archivos, the story development and presentation tool for today's storytellers. But after that, Mike, Marie, I would love to brainstorm a story with you guys. What do you say? Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. We have an accord. It's going to happen, friends. Don't you go anywhere. We will be right back. Youth, ambition, power. Oda no Michiko and Chris Den have much of the first two and crave the last. To get it, all they must do is survive. For centuries, the Warder Circle on the neutral islands of Toife has given the nations of the sky a way to avoid war, as their chosen warders settle disputes through magical duels of blade and sigil. But that peace is on the edge of crumbling crushed between the aggression of the Mertican Empire and the determination of the still-free nations to not be consumed. Toife may be neutral, but it is also home to a million intrigues, schemes, and deadly intentions. Michiko and Chris arrive in this treacherous world together, bladecrafters eager to serve their countries. Michiko as a junior warder for Kakute, a vassal of the Empire. Chris as an upstart challenging to win a seat for their home, Rumika, in the circle. But before the young bladecrafters have even settled in, a power struggle erupts. A man's head is parted from his shoulders. And every good thing Michiko thinks she knows about the Empire comes into question. The two young diplomat warriors are surrounded by warders of experience, each with their own ambitions. Chief among them, Warder Ojo, whose home island of Kulo is in danger of falling from the sky. And Warder Lavinia, who represents the Empire in all its contempt and brutality. A storm is coming. And Chris and Michiko stand at its eye. Will it bind the nations of the sky together or tear them apart? You can get Born to the Blade by going to www.serialbox.com slash born to the blade or by downloading the Serialbox app in the App Store today. Archivos, the new story development application from WonderThink Studios, will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. 
It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. Archivos, your stories illuminated. Welcome back, dear friends. And now we get down to the business at hand, the meat and potatoes and the dessert, because we're just going to put it all into one big bowl and mash it up because it's awesome that way. And that doesn't happen without a bold and courageous, a creative and courageous guest writer striding boldly to the slightly less comfortable writer's chair, as every guest writer can attest here in the Archivos podcast virtual studios. And dear friends, our guest writer for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms is an author and a rabid Red Sox fan whose compelling reason to write stories so that her cats don't starve. And that's a good reason. That's a very good reason. In her secret heart of hearts, she really wants to be an artist. But given her dismal results in the realm of stick figures, she has resolved to buy art to support artists and write books instead. And that's probably a good call. Uh, The arcane secret to summoning her is to pour a mojito and press play on Errol Flynn's Adventures of Robin Hood. Now, sadly, the end result of said summoning will not be her slavish servitude to your every whim, but I can promise you, friends, there will be laughter and good times. Swordplay may or may not be involved. Dear friends, please welcome to the writer's chair here in the Archivos podcast studios, Val Griswold Ford. Val Hats off to you, ma'am, as always. Everyone that takes that long walk from the green room to the writer's chair, uh, uh, your courage and conviction and commitment to your craft is, we salute it. Thank you so very much. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So Adventures of Robin Hood, that's your jam? Oh, it's got to be the Errol Flynn one, though. Errol Flynn and Basil Rathbone sword fighting. We're just, we're done. I'll be in in my sword room. Yes, very good. Very good. I I kind of, I absolutely agree. Although, honestly, from the Errol Flynn canon, uh, Seahawk is actually kind of my absolute fave. Uh, I like Seahawk. Captain Blood is better. (laughs) We're going to have to do a whole separate episode just comparing (laughs) comparing the Errol Flynn canon. Uh, uh, so cool. But for now, let's dive into this. Um, Val, you've, you've, you've heard the podcast. You know how this works. We're going to give you five to eight minutes. Uh, give us the, the title, the genre, the target audience, the length. Give us a, a hook line to, to set the stage. Introduce us to the world and the characters. Give us the, the tent poles of a story. And we will brainstorm our brains out and yours too. So I'm done. That's it for me. I'm out of the way. The mic is all yours, ma'am. Thank you so much. So this novel is called Resonant Frequencies. It's a magical realism story. I'm looking at novel length uh, for an adult audience. 
The hook line is a recently widowed artist discovers a magical power. Whatever she paints comes alive around her, creating kind of a holodeck area that she can retreat into so she doesn't have to deal with the loss of someone again. But when one of her friends from the painting escapes and starts to wreak vengeance in the real world, Abby must risk losing everything again to stop him or vanish into her paintings forever. The theme of this story is it's a story about learning to trust yourself again, to realize that it's okay to let folks go and overcoming grief. Uh, it's set in modern day New England where magic exists. There are elves in it. I'm going with the genre standard bright court elves versus dark court elves that live in enclaves that coexist in the fairy realm and the human world simultaneously. Main characters. My protagonist is, I actually... I have three protagonists. I don't really have an antagonist because they're all working for something. Uh, the protagonist is the first protagonist is Abby. She's a recent widow who took up painting as a refuge from the real world to deal with the sudden death of her husband in a car accident and to support herself. She's very stubborn and she cares too much about people. And her greatest fear is losing someone else she cares about. And her greatest desire is to make the world safe because she doesn't want to hurt again and she doesn't want anybody else to get hurt but by the end of the story she realizes that you can't stop the world and put it in a glass box the second protagonist is Declan he's an elven nobleman who runs an artist colony that's a cooperative between human artists and magical beings he's also very stubborn um, and very loyal to his friends his greatest fear is that the magical world will die and his greatest desire is to reincorporate magic into the world the way it used to be so that it supports both human and magical societies and works with the technologies. At the beginning of the story, he's actually thinking that this is not going to work at all. And he's actually thinking about giving up. But by the end of the story, he realizes that he's got to also learn to let some things go. It's not going to go the way, always the way he wants it to go. Corbin is another elven nobleman who collects artists and only allows certain magical beings to access their magic. The big thing about this world is that um, magic is based on creativity. So the more creative output you have, the more magical power you generate for magical beings to live. So he is actually like collecting artists and keeping them almost in like a commune and only allowing certain people to access their creative energy like a battery. And his greatest fear is the same as Declan's. It's that the magical world will die. And so his greatest desire is to force humans to produce magic so that his world will continue to be strong. And by the end of the story, he realizes that his approach is actually killing the magic faster than it normally would have. And he's got to look for other options and, and maybe even gasp, work with Declan and Abby to keep the magic going. So story that I have in act one, you meet all the characters. Um, Abby's created kind of a safe haven for herself within her paintings where she can deal with the loss of her husband. Declan and Corbin become aware of her as she starts to sell some of the paintings and begins to court her to join them to use her magic. At the same time, things start to leak from her paintings, although she doesn't realize it. By the second act, the leakage escalates. Abby becomes aware that her paintings are somehow coming to life and acting out on the people around her. Declan tries to help her control it. Corbin urges her to continue to create, just let it go, kind of, you know, bring the magic into the world. And she's torn between which path to take. 
In act three, she realizes she needs to take control of her gifts and learn to let her grief go after one of the monsters, basically, that escape from her paintings kills someone. And this is actually going to require her to work with both Corbin and Declan, since they each have separate strengths she can draw on. I'm looking at a standalone novel because I'm so sick of writing series at this point. <laughs> and that's what I got. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I think we have uh, some story food to work with there, Val. Nicely done. What are you hoping to get out of the next eh, half hour or so of brainstorming to come? Um, I'm hoping to help flesh it out a little. Uh, I, I've got a really neat world, but I feel the story itself may be kind of thin. So I'm hoping to get some help with uh, maybe some inciting episodes along the way that I can do this without turning it super grim dark because I don't want that. Okay. All right. Very cool. And 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 Val, as I understand, you've you actually have a, a very personal investment in in Abby's uh, uh, backstory. Is that correct? I, I do. I lost my husband to a sudden heart attack uh, February first of last year. Oh, so I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. Well, and and kudos to you for for then stepping very very bravely uh, into a narrative that allows you to explore. And again, you're you're a great primary source for the feelings that Abby will be going through. Um, so awesome, very very cool. All right, let's dive into this. Uh, but we can't really until we get our butts covered. Uh, Marie, would you cover our butts, please? I am. I am covering them right now. <laughs> All right, Val, you, my friend, are about to experience a veritable deluge of ideas, insights, and inspirations. It's important you realize that everything said from this point forward by myself, by Dave, or by Michael might be complete fushadoodle hornswaggle. We are PG rated, my friend. This is <laughs> this is your story, and you decide what to use and what to cast aside. Is that clear, Val? It is clear. Awesome. Wonderful. Good. <laughs> the mind boggles. The mind just boggles. Excellent. All right. Uh, uh, butts covered. We are liberated and able to launch into the gauntlet of the brainstorm. And we always start with a quick once around the table, uh, an opportunity to uh, identify some some pros and cons, some high level concepts, and ask some questions of clarification. We always start with our guest host. So, Michael R. Underwood, please start us off. What are your first impressions of Val's story idea, and what questions do you have? Sure. So. Uh it's easy to sell me on a a work that takes creativity as one of the as part of the aesthetic stakes in the way that this novel does. Uh, so I'm definitely bought in there. I would raise a question about magical realism as the genre. I don't know your background, but there is a pretty strong thread or kind of discourse inclination within uh, people who talk about magical realism as indicating that it maybe would be best for it to stay um, a kind of a Latin American specific subgenre of the fantastic. If that is a concern for you, the the immediate replacement that I would offer would be contemporary fantasy if you want to avoid the term urban fantasy. And the other the kind of the other thing that stood out to me that I would have questions about is we've got these three major characters, but I would want to know because it feels like community and communities of artists is a really important thing here because you've got two different people who are gathering communities and leading them in different ways and kind of 
they have a different attitude. So I'd love to, if it'd be useful to you, fill out these ca the cast a bit, and especially to maybe make um, some space to be a little bit clear about kind of uh, the range of who is a creative and the different perspectives that are involved there. And um, I guess the specific question is like, does Declan come from Summer Court and then Corbin from Winter Court? Or is like, what's up with their differentiations with regards to one another as far as the elves are concerned? Great question. Um, they're actually both Summer Court. Okay. I decided I didn't want to deal with the Dark Court as much simply because I thought that would make it a darker novel than it may already be. But they're actually, what I was trying to do with that is, is just basically they're, they're both approaching the same problem from two different ways. And they're both, they're each convinced the other's wrong and they're right. That conflict seems like it could almost be its own novel. <laughs> and with three yeah. protagonists, if you want to do a standalone, that may inflate the word count that you're looking for, depending on how thoroughly Abby's narrative can be enmeshed with the the conflict of kind of praxis and approach between Declan and Corbin. Does that make sense, Val? Oh yeah, yeah. Sorry, taking notes. Ah, <laughs> understood. Understood. Very cool. Excellent. Excellent points and and things that I think we can explore deeper as we dive into the brainstorm. Anything else to to lead off with, Michael? No, that's that's my opening salvo. Okay, the opening salvo. Good. <laughs> Marie, what about you? First impressions and questions of clarification. Yeah, I mean, I, I had a little bit of a, just, just a, an overall statement I'm going to start with is I also felt that three protagonists could be, uh, make this novel swell easily into uh, more than one book. Uh, and also I felt that just from the get-go, the Declan and Corbin were a little bit too. I mean, one of them has a cooperative, the other one has a... Uh, a community he's created. Um, a slave I pen. Felt, Let's call it what it is. It's a slave yeah, pen. A slave pen. But I felt it was a little bit, um, to me, it sounded too close one another. Like I have a feeling that it, it would be too reflective, too, uh, too mirror image. Uh, but that was just an, an, an ish initial impression. We can unpack that perhaps. One of the questions I did have though, Val, is so you said that Abby, her magic uh, kind of starts to leak out at one point, right? Mm -hmm. uh, when just, So that's how they discover her and all that. Now, is there anything that actually triggers the leaking out of it? Any Anything that the, the painting needs to come in contact with or does it just randomly do it it's it's because she's pouring the emotion into it um she her gift for lack of a better thing didn't fully blossom because she didn't start painting until her husband died and her basically her therapist said maybe you should try and paint your feelings out like my mm -hmm. therapist said maybe you should try and write your feelings out and unfortunately for her it sort of triggered this unlocking where her gift just starts feeding energy basically into the paintings. Okay, that's cool. Uh, just something to keep in mind though, and again, I'm not sure if we'll look at this, but uh, as you move forward for your world building is uh, then you're looking at as if the magic, and it might be just in a small region of the world, maybe clear, uh, close to some elven courts or whatever it is, but um, if you're looking at a magic that triggers through emotion automatically then you're looking at some war-torn places where people decide to pick up you know somebody will go and throw an art clothes or art course and suddenly there'll be magic spilling out everywhere if yeah. there's no trigger per se so just on the world building side yeah. um, graffiti, unless there's some graffiti would be become uh, a danger 
Apparently, I don't need another idea, but that would be really cool because now yeah, I yeah. want to write something well, about graffiti in like Syria or something. So, um, Daniel Holder's <laughs> Shadow Shaper and sequels, um, a YA fantasy series, is very much in that vein. So, that's something to check out for folks. What Excellent. was that called? Shadow Shaper. Um, yeah. Basically, any any art discipline can um, can be used to imbue that art with the spirits of the dead. Um, and there's a really strong kind of local community tie. Um, it's Brooklyn in a way that feels more like Brooklyn than almost any other uh, Brooklyn set novel that I've read. Um, so it's very cool, something to definitely check out and was one of the first things I thought of when you described this concept. So probably worth checking out. Okay, thank you. Um, I'm actually taking it, you know, now I'm showing my age, um, uh, from the Steve's World books with the artist who used to draw things and they would come to life. And I, I was fascinated by that as a child. And I always wanted to write a story like that. Well, and there's also <laughs> the character cool. Luella from uh, the nine princes of Amber who actually painted the, the, the gate cards that the, the, the princes of Amber used to navigate shadow. Truth. Uh, so nice. sorry, we were waxing rhapsodic Marie, uh, any other, any other thoughts or questions you wanted to include on this first round? Uh, no, that was it for uh, for my thoughts overall. Okay, excellent. Um, and and Val, I, I I position myself in the third seat for a reason uh, because then <laughs> I can just echo and affirm uh, what all the brilliant people have said already. Uh, I, I agree that uh, the notion of of creativity as a fuel of magic is a I, I think there's a potent that's a potent storytelling conceit. Uh, uh, and definitely worth exploring. I, I also agree that there is a, a lot of, there's a fairly monochromatic uh, uh, progression across your protagonists. Um, I, I want to know, Val, why, why elves? What is it that elves are bringing to this narrative for you? Uh, in the world building that I'm looking at, elves are kind of the top tier of the magical world. They're kind of the ones who run everything. So the other magical races are under them and for the longest time they've because they're so close to humans that they can siphon off in this create it's only the creativity from humans that can feed these magical creatures so an elf creating doesn't have the same effect doesn't generate the same power as a human creating so these magical creatures didn't exist before humans pretty much okay Interesting. And and will these magical creatures be, are, are, are any of them sentient? Will any of them be factoring into the story or can we use them in our brainstorming moving forward? Absolutely. Okay. Um, awesome. There are, especially in um, Declan's commune, there are a lot of magical creatures that do create because feeding off of the human creators allows them to use their magic to make art basically okay. it's just it's 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 not as potent okay cool we can work with that we can work with that my other question is is abby's power unique has anyone ever done this before no so, abby's power is unique and that's part of the problem uh why not, not that why is it a problem, but what is it about Abby that manifests this never-before-seen magical power that is threatening to destroy the world? 
it's because she cares so much and because her heart's been broken. But she's not the first person to care and have her heart broken that took up a brush. She's she's not. um, And that's a good point because this should have happened before. I'm I'm just concerned about the the, the chosen one thing. I hate that. And I really don't want to do that again. I did that. That was my last trilogy. Well, then, you know, one thing that we can do is, you know, maybe this isn't the first time it's happened. Uh, and and people know about this power, and it's freaking dangerous. And anybody that manifests this power uh, uh, is hunted down. And that actually, and that way. So if I take Corbin, that actually works, Dave. Because if I take uh, Corbin and make him a hunter rather than someone who's trying to do a different commune, if I make him a hunter, then we've got him hunting Abby, Declan trying to help her. Which and makes she's kind of caught in the middle. Which makes, which him, makes an him an outcast. Because he's helping the girl who can destroy the world. Yeah, we, we can, let's explore that. Let's let's definitely work that. That's just one of the many things that we toss on the table. Two other quick observations. Um, I, 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 and this might be Dave. So this falls under the Fuchsia Doodle Hornswoggle thing. But when <laughs> I see a cast of a, a, a girl and two guys, I'm looking for a love triangle. I know you're not doing that. But the expectation is there. I'm I'll, I'll, somewhere in the back of my head. I'll be going. At what point is she going to fall in love with him, and then fall in love with him? And my concern, and that might just be my shallowness as a reader. I will freely own that. But my concern would be that readers then are going to have this little thing waiting in the back of their heads and not giving the story the full attention. I'm wondering if Declan or Corbin could be. We could gender flop. Uh, uh, one of them just to shake things up a little bit. Um, yeah, we can or, do that. Or pull, pull out, pull them out. Uh, uh, make not both of them elves. Make one of them one of the other magical creatures. I don't know. That was that yeah. was my one thought. Um, and the other thoughts was much more profound. It was really really cool. <laughs> and it's, it's gone. gone. It's totally gone. Yeah. So I'm gonna just. It'll come back to me, I'm sure. Let's go ahead and dive into the brainstorm uh, proper. Michael, where do you want to start? What do you want to dive into to help shore up uh, Val's narrative? Um, I wanted to toss out a couple of other ideas that address the why is this special in terms of what's happening with Abby. Mm, yes. Um, uh, the hunter idea, I think, is a, is a solid one. As an alternative, here's a couple of things. You, you talked about like kind of the fading of magic from the world. If that was something you wanted to lean on more, could Abby's manifestation be something like an extinction burst of magic, where as magic is fading, um, it is kind of flailing and trying to like, to whatever degree the magic has volition, latching on to people that stoke its flame and trying to pour energy into that. So magical extinction burst or like magical climate change that as the interconnectivity or like any number of things that you could you could say, oh, okay, this is where the world is going and this is how it's impacting magic and the reaction of magic to that or the ways that magic is being constrained or changed or undermined means that something that in other, in past eras had been controllable is now uncontrollable in this one case. I like that. Yeah, that's an that's interesting cool. idea. And, and and that also creates this, this moment of, uh, so it's so, like you say, it's like a thunderstorm, and and the grounding impulse is looking for the target, and it could be very well be that Abby's grief and rage, you know, this could be her dark time of the soul, and it happens early in the book, 
uh, and we can see that grounding, that that extinction flare come up in her as she reaches that point when it's like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I miss him so much. And then bam, and then she grabs a, 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 a brush and, and begins to paint and blah, blah, blah. And oh my God, look at all this awesome stuff. Yeah, I like that. I think that, and, I think and- that also gives a, 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 a broader base for the world to work from. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because it's not just her grabbing onto the magic in a way or to the brush in this case, but it's also the magic grabbing on to her. So it's it's there's despair on both sides, if you will. It almost gives a, a type of sentience quality, which which perhaps you didn't mean to suggest, Michael, but it, but it gives that idea of a, a sentience, an understanding that the end is near for the magic and, and that feeling of grabbing onto something as well. It, it could have that implication. Yeah, because I think there, there's a, a space within that approach to then if Corbin was still a kind of a community leader, because the other thematic um, axis that, that struck me was kind of a collaboration versus commercialism angle in terms of Declan's co-op is community like creators helping creators. And um, Corbin's felt more like kind of a, a publisher or kind of commercializing patron. Um, if that, yeah, if that was a thematic axis you wanted to play on. Yeah, um, I'm more interested in in the the grief and the letting go aspect. Sure. So um, I, I do like the idea of the magic fading and reaching out to her and maybe that, and, and I could actually still work that in with the hunter, um, yeah. because, you know, well, we've seen this go bad before and, you know, this only happens when, and it, it, it may not even be so much as an extinction burst as a, she reached it, um, you know, when people hit that rock bottom, they, they reach for something that shouldn't be reached for. Yep. Well, but grounding her into, into the mythology of the world uh, uh, is you know it it, it the, the thing the thing that struck me from from that concept and again I'm not trying to tell you how to do your job Val it's your story we've already done the brainstorm <laughs> disclaimer thing but the the notion of of Val's despair and magic's despair occurring concurrently. No, I like that. I definitely like that. And, okay, and the, I I I actually have that written down because that part I do like and I like the fact that almost what I'm thinking is is when you when you hit that rock bottom and when magic is hitting that rock bottom um they they both have to use each other basically right to kind of pull each other out and then and then you have the uh, uh then you can embody the two possible solutions uh uh through Declan and Corbin of uh, let's save magic using the power that magic has given you, Abby, to reground and replant the wells of magic around the world or whatever that is. Yep. Or the uh, uh, notion of you are untrained, this magic is wild, and if you do something wrong, you will just destroy it. It's better if we find a, 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 a different vessel, uh, perhaps someone more uh, attuned, uh, more worthy than you, Abby, uh, yeah. to, to own this. It's just safer for everyone if you just die and let it all go so that we can sustain and carry on. 
I like that too. And then that can be at some point, something like that, like between the dance between Abby and her magic could be where the monsters are created, not out of a, not out of something evil necessarily, or the magic going sideways, but it could be a protective instinct, or it could be just a reaction of something Corbin did or is trying to do or, or whatever it is that there is that healing through learning to love again too. that, that, sensation even if it is the magic and then that learning to let go through letting something go of your own will as opposed to getting it ripped from you which is then something that you can play with as well with the, within the abbey arc if that was of interest yeah Val? sorry typing, notes, typing, notes. Typing. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> take the notes take the notes we're just riffing here Val, do, do you want us to try to help you sort out some more specific plot beats or kind of keep working at this higher level? I like it at the higher level because that's helping me right now. Um, I, like I said, I have this cool world and really the world building is, is where I was falling down. And I think the, I, I like the idea of letting it go of your own free will versus having it ripped from you as a theme. Mm-hmm. And I and I, I really like the idea of the magical climate change, and so I think that if we keep going on this this higher level, then that will help me figure out how the arcs will go. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, and the, to carry forward that thing, um, throwing out the magical climate change, I'm I get that this is a, a major theme that comes up in a lot of things. It's in Changeling. It's a lot of other stuff with Faye. Like, oh, magic is leaving the world. I'm like, But for me, with fan fiction and with YouTube, there's so many ways for people to share their creativity that it'd be interesting as a possibility. Like, okay, so if it's magical climate change, it's climate change, not climate destruction. If some of the metaphysics of creativity are just changing, either because there's so much creativity coming in so many different ways, or the ju that juxtaposition of technologization, mass commodification, like there's a, a bunch of different um, things you can draw on. But I wanted to add the idea of, oh, okay, if one option is that it's not an apocalyptic mode, it's just a ma uh, massive metaphysical shift and that we're shifting into this mo this mode, maybe chaotically. And that's why the stuff is chaotic for Abby, but it also gives maybe a bit more hope for the future. Oh, I like that. It kind of has a, an American gods kind of feel to it with, with the old gods and the new gods uh, coming, reaching a point where who's going to go forward. Uh, yeah. in, in this case, you've got the, the, the pure essence of creativity versus as, as the, the modality that Michael laid out, the, the commercialism and the exploitive uh, uh, enslavement of creativity. And at that point, we, we kind of need, uh, well, I guess, Corbin. Corbin? Yes, Corbin, Corbin. kind of embodies that, that antithesis. So you've got Declan and Corbin both embodying the, the two uh, ideals uh, that are at war. But like, is Corbin the only one who can help her pay her rent? Well, like, and see, that's that's the kind of thing that I was looking at because I, I know a lot of artists and they don't get paid squat. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's there's a risk in creating a strict, clean binary here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, oh, this is the, the good way of being creative. And this is the bad way. Like, get paid. But... <laughs> 
maybe maybe there's an approach difference like if corbin is more exploitative or manipulative or is more demanding of percentages or rights or things and declan is maybe disorganized doesn't have a good monetization model where it's like yeah it's a commune you can make whatever art you you want to make but declan's not the person who's going to help you figure out how to set up a patreon so that you can make money right or he's judgmental <laughs> uh, uh right. and, and you yeah know- yeah he could be really specific about what good art is so he's yeah. like, oh, I mean, he's going to push you to make his version of good art. Whereas Corbin is like, yeah, yeah, like I can sell this. And so that there's different impulses and that neither of them is wholly right or wholly wrong. Mm-hmm. And if, yeah. and if Abby starts the show uh, destitute, uh, a mountain of debt has, has come due and she's, she's, you know, maybe she's on the street. Maybe, maybe she has just made that transition uh, uh, to living on the street, which kind of, it's kind of cool actually, because that's a, a, the transition into a different world. Uh, uh, and when you move into a different world, you are untethered uh, and that allows you to be more receptive to outside influences like magic reaching out in, in its, in its not death throws, but transitional throws uh, uh, and trying to find a new anchor point. And maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe Declan, maybe, I'll put this out there and then we can say, nah, that's, that's crap. Dave. Um, but, but maybe Abby, because she has been grounded, maybe she decides, maybe, maybe she decides the flavor and tone of magic going forward or, or is one of the deciders. Maybe, I don't know. Um, but being invested as eh, that goes back to the chosen one. Never mind. Carry on. Yeah, I was like, nah. yeah, we, we did the chosen one. It's, yeah. yeah. yeah it's sucks. got some interesting merit though. Cause if we take, like if we get away from the chosen one and we just have Abby coming to realize, cause you said that she could like walk into her paintings, right? Her paintings would come alive around her. Yeah. Type of thing, kind of like a holodeck, which I like. Yeah. <laughs> I always wanted one of those. Um, but, you and me both. Right. But you could have it where at some point, cause y- you want to paint Abby as a certain person, right? Is she perceptive? Is she not? And I have a feeling that you're going for someone who's more perceptive because she cares so much. She She's more empathic to a certain degree. And she might even start to notice that the magic, she realizes the magic is alive, but it's not just her emotions feeding it at some point. She could realize that there's extra emotional layers or resonance within that magic. And that could come from, that could be the first time that she starts to understand that there is actually something happening with that magic like if you go for that thread of, of slightly more sentient uh magical energy then she could start to realize that no this magic is alive and corbin and declan could even be both of them fighting against her saying well no that's not a thing it's never been a thing we're elves we know do you know human you can't even control your magic you know you can have that where she has to make a stand all of a sudden she's not just being a conduit for the magic she's also being its protector its champion at the same time i like that just just oh, i like that too yeah, it gives her a little bit more oomph too. She's 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 given something gives that she wants agency. to do. Yeah, yeah, gives, some yeah. agency. Gives her yeah. something to be driven about and passionate about. Absolutely. Yeah. And 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 you know, and that could be a layered progression. You know, at first she's passionate about her art, and and we can see that, and we can admire her for it. And then as the layers and depth of the world that she finds herself in are revealed. Uh, she then gloms on after long dark tea time of the souls and so on uh, picks what she's going to pursue 
maybe wrongly initially because you have you know a try fail cycle is never a bad thing. My question, Val, is: Do you have like a, a, a Kubler Ross progression of grief that you want to put Abby through? Well, the problem is, is that grief doesn't work that way. Okay. Um, there's there there's a wonderful image that somebody shared with me right after my mom died, which was a year before my husband died. It's been a rough couple of years. It's been a rough couple mm-hmm. of years. No yeah. kidding. But the the, the Kubler Ross that you're talking about is, is where you start with you know denial and, and you kind of go all the way through and come out the other side. And, and the real truth is is it's just kind of this ball. And there is no real beginning and end. Okay. So what I kind of wanted to show in this, and and people are going to give her that advice, you know, well, you just have to work through it. You just have to, to, to get on with it and everything because that's what people tell you, you know, and they're not trying to be cruel. They're trying to say, you know, you, you have to move on, but you don't ever. You just kind of learn to go with the flow at that point. And when you lose someone like that so very suddenly, especially if that person was very young, then you realize and and you realize how much of a gift you have just in living. And what I what I really want to do is 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 write a book that shows people that it's okay to be grieving. Because a lot of times we're told that, well, it's okay to grieve, but there's a time limit on it. Mm-hmm. And after a while, it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. You know, you can go on and, and be fine for days or weeks or sometimes even a month. And then something stupid out of the blue will send you right back down into the depths again. And there's really no way to predict when that's going to happen or how that's going to happen. And so I wanted to... I wanted to write a character and a story that kind of shows that without being preachy. Okay. I, th- I think you can achieve that. Absolutely. Michael, with this revelation of that, what, what thoughts are you having as far as how we might illuminate those objectives within the narrative? So if given that, I would say maybe that's the focusing lens or the kind of pacing timing thing that informs when stuff gets out of control that if people are trying to get abby to fit her grieving process into a neat set of boxes then the pushback from her own um, emotional journey could take something kind of out of control that if she's trying to put things into boxes it's not going to because things are going to set her off or she's going to start working on something and then that's going to drill into a different facet of some part of the emotion and that you know if it seems like already the the grieving is being incarnated into the art so right making every part of how the art does and doesn't work for her and if mad if if we're if the work is aligning magic and grief as things that you have to kind of contend with over time and don't don't behave the way you expect, then maybe that's another focusing approach. Is that something? Does, does that sound like a framework that would be useful for you? Yes, and actually, I like that magic and grief don't behave the way you expect. I I, I like that. I do too. I do too. Marie, what about you? 
Yeah, I love that idea. I love the idea of, uh, A, I love that it's not a progression, that grief is not a progression, because even though Abby is going through a story and, and there is an arc to the story, that means the emotional center of it is unpredictable to a certain degree. And that is a bit like your magic at the heart of it as well, because the magic to some degree that you've created is unpredictable because it relies on concepts or uh, emotional intensities that are not themselves predictable. And I think that gives it an interesting resonance one with the other. And, and in a way, the magic learns from the grief, the grief learns from the magic and then Abby kind of takes it all, but doesn't, like it, it's not like uh, you know you said you didn't want an after-school special type of idea where like look at what we learned today kids this is how we get through it uh, and and I think that's the beauty of it is there's no there's no hard substance there there's moments of enlightenment there's moments of joy there there's that emotional up and down without it having a that that moral that that you know because of this moment because Declan said this kind thing to me I suddenly the world is all perfect again and it's fine I'm I'm gonna go you know, do, do whatever my next steps are. And, and I think that's the beauty of it is that learning to live with the grief and the uncertainty of it. I like that. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. I, Val, I'm, my instinct, if, if I had suffered that loss and had the ability to paint something and make it real, I would paint the person I lost. That's what she's doing. Okay. Mm. Um, so, and, and of course in doing so, you're creating a two-dimensional uh, or even a one-dimensional representation because all you're doing is painting what you remember. Mm-hmm. And, and, and your memory lies to you. Your memory lies to you and it doesn't include all the dynamic, unexpected uh, uh, shocks that a living, breathing, dimensional person will introduce into your life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm... I'm I'm kind of doing a two-pronged thing here. I'm thinking that uh, along around the end of Act 2, beginning of Act 3, I think over the course of the book, Abby really needs to love magic and become devoted to it and dedicated to it, commit to it, make a sacrifice for it, and then have it taken away. Okay. As an echo of the loss that drove her into this moment in the first place. Because whatever crisis is being developed throughout the course of the story, I think it would be very cool if she could solve it without magic. And mm-hmm. in doing so, affirming that she is a, a potent being, her choices matter, and yes, the grief is there. No, don't give her back the magic. Uh, uh, let the magic go. I don't know. I, I don't know where that goes. But does that does that have a shape that that makes sense for you at all? Interesting concept. Okay, fair enough. I will. Have... No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, 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 I want to see because that that might fit into the whole um, giving it up versus taking it by force. Right. So I mean that, but again, I don't want to get into the in, into the preachy. Right. You know, yeah. In, in order yeah. to do this, I I must do the noble sacrifice and. Well, no, I would have it taken away from her. I I wouldn't I wouldn't let it. I I, I would have it if we if and I don't know how it would be done, but uh, uh, have she has to experience the loss, and then 
find the strength within her to, because her drive and commitment is so strong, to go forward, resolve whatever instability or peril is in, involved through being who she is and not letting her have the magic again. Uh, I, I, I really feel like there needs to be uh, an echo of that loss that can help her receive, gain some objectivity on her, her more personal and intimate loss of her husband. Michael, am I, am I flailing at that point? Well, I think <laughs> if, if this is going to be a, a standalone novel, then if you're fitting within the kind of Anglophone narrative tradition and the end of the novel is Abby like, okay, like we can leave the novel and expect that Abby is going to be okay then I think the important thing to think about in terms of the back and forth with the magic is what will it take for her to be okay? For her yes. to feel like she can continue in her life and not be overwhelmed by grief, where she can have a positive relationship to art. What, based on how you want Abby to be, will that take? And maybe it's working backwards from that. That's, yeah, because... From from what I've done with the character so far, the magic is not the big point for her. It's the fact that she, at least in the beginning, can recreate what she's lost, at least for a little while. But even then, she understands that it's transient. It doesn't last. And I think what it's going to take for her to be okay at the end of the book is finally learning to accept that. And learning that you can't you can't put everything in a box and keep it safe and freeze time and not have it go anywhere because that's really that was a big point that my therapist went over with me okay. and it was really something that I'm still working on. I mean, you you really have to learn to live in the moment and not live in the past. And I think that's more what I'm going for, too, is you need to live in the moment and, and not live in your memories and all the time and not just let the world pass you by. Right. So I think one, one possible kind of propuls propulsion for ending is how can Abby get right enough with herself and her magic where her magic is art in a way that points outward? It's art that people react to. It's art that lets people work through their own stuff. Where her art, if she's going to be an artist in the world, she her art has to engage with people that are not her. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. So she needs, there needs to be other characters in this story that Abby cares about that are suffering their own crises, maybe not as dramatic as Abby's, uh, but that Abby can then discover she can help them as well something yes. along those lines okay oh, yeah because you can you can add people who are either other creators or whatever if you've got Declan and Corbin both with their own communities that's a lot of cast that you can add and that's a way of presenting kind of sub themes or sub variations of different relationships to magic and art and if she forms a strong relationship with either Declan or Corbin or somebody else um because I have flagged fear losing another person she cares about. So she has to care about another person for that fear to be relevant for this narrative. And maybe yeah. those two can fold together. Okay. Yeah. 
And it wouldn't have to be losing in terms of death. It could be moving away. It could be uh, uh, any any number of things. A promotion that will take them out of her social circle. Uh, uh, or somebody that is starting to drift away. And, and the fear that comes from that. There's a lot of different forms that takes. Yeah, Guys, no. I'm, I'm looking at the clock tick down. And as, as much as I, I feel like we're... I feel like we've 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 staked the edges enough, and now we can start digging into the middle, and we're out of time. Uh, so I'm I'm going to I'm going to reluctantly move us into the final phase, where we take one last turn around the table, uh, give our final thoughts, considerations, possibilities, things that maybe didn't come up in the brainstorm, uh, uh, and let's fill fill Val's pockets with as much literary gold as we can, so that she can go out and write this thing. Michael, we'll start with you, sir. Final thoughts for Val. Yeah, I think for a standalone novel with three major players, a lot of stuff has to do double or triple work. So when when you're building the, the shape of it or the skeleton or kind of the, the through line, whatever organizing principles you're using, I think it will be really worthwhile to look at what you want to do with the work and who you want these people to be and make sure that stuff leans on one another, that the important parts connect, and that they point at one another in a way that is going to let you have the story go mostly in one direction instead of pointing in a bunch of different directions. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Thank you. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. Marie, what about you? Um, I I echo uh, what Michael says, and I'm going to add to it that uh, along the same lines is, you know, you already have a setup where you're trying to uh, achieve a certain thing with your character, which is um, not overcoming the grief so much as uh, operating within it. Uh, but she, at the same time, you have her Abby surrounded by things that are appealing to that side of her that is ca- caught in that grief moment. You have magic that helps her live in her memories. You have elves that are stuck in the past to a certain degree because of what their belief systems are. Uh, and her strengths, I think her strength and her strength of character, especially her own beliefs, will really come through with how you portray, how she associates and kind of dances with those things that are trying to give her a place that is appealing and that has married especially if she's painting her husband and suddenly he appears before her as the magic could do but that she finds a way to just move forward that perhaps slightly pushed perhaps slightly of her own will but i I think that dance will be a great draw uh to the readers as you go forward so i look forward to that indeed thank you indeed um my advice val is to keep in mind uh, uh the larger world uh, as we go forward and and the ripple effects uh, set, setting up a, a, a world around Abby because right now we're kind of focusing on the commune and the elves and the magical community and the world is bigger than that and in order to have Abby's struggle uh, uh, have relevance I think and authenticity she needs to be dealing with real things as well as magical things and seeing how those two depend upon each other or don't or or conflict with each other um one of the things that i i I wanted to see a little more of is the the friction between creativity and whatever the opposite of creativity is and and you as the storyteller can inertia stability uh, uh uh sameness um dispassion there's a lot of ways that creativity manifests and i think if, if that's 
it sounds like that's a core principle or, or emotive uh, emotive force uh, in your life and in this story. And I think it would be very cool to embrace a larger expression of what creativity is, discovering the magic, quote unquote, uh, uh, that all creativity has, and then laying it against this framework of the ticking clock, the the imminent peril, and and Abby's struggle to to come to grips with her her circumstances. Um, I, I think that'll give more relevance and authenticity to Abby's discoveries as she goes forward. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. We can talk more. We okay. know each other. So, you know, we know each other. Okay, yeah, we do. We're <laughs> awesome. Well, Val, here's the thing. Um, we want to make sure that you uh, uh, have all the tools at dis- at your disposal to help make this story come true. So in that spirit, uh, we will bestow upon you a full year of the Archivos story development and presentation framework to, to help you document your story setting, track the relationships, the, the significant places and events and how they all interconnect into a wonderful, wonderful story. You down with that? I am down with that. Yeah, awesome. Very cool. Um, Michael, we usually bestow uh, uh, said gift upon our guest hosts as a thank you as well. Um, I know you're already uh, you're already in the Archivos vibe, aren't you? I am. I'm, uh, I'm actually hoping that I'll get to use it for one of my upcoming projects, so I will report back. Splendid. Excellent. Nice. I will still bestow upon you a coupon code that you may then deem and, and render unto uh, some other worthy of your, of your uh, social circle uh, that they might enjoy it as well. Excellent. Dave, you can... Uh... You can gift mine too because I actually do already have a Are subscription. You, you're already in the Oculus community. Okay, <laughs> I well, am. I will still give it to you, and you can give it to someone else so that you can have okay. communities. And with the uh, with the launch that we have coming out April 27th, uh, you'll actually be able to designate collaborators to work in the world together. Uh, oh, cool. So you'll be able to have uh, a core group so you can gift that to somebody you want to work with or whatever. Awesome. Um, so yeah, very cool. All right, very cool. Val, this has been marvelous. Uh, a wonderful brainstorm. Thank you so much for for stepping up and and showing the cajones to to work a story with us, ma'am. It's been marvelous. Thank you so much, guys. This has really helped me, and uh, I'm really excited to write this book now. Yay. Excellent, excellent. Our work is done. Well, not done, but we we did a good job, guys. Yay us. <laughs> Michael, as always, my friend, lovely to spend some podcast time with you, man. And I have no doubt. Well, we already have a date in six months. You need to tell us all the uh, the wonderful rigors of of being a full time writer and how you endured the uh, the trials to come. Excellent. <laughs> I will look forward to it. I will look forward to it. Thank you, man, for for adding your mojo to the story brainstorm. As always, it was a, a enlightening and illuminating experience, and I look forward to doing it again. Look forward to it. <laughs> Marie, thank you, ma'am. Uh, good to have you back in the co-pilot's chair. Uh, you, uh, you, we, we careened this plane in some wonderful different banks and aerial <laughs> loops. Uh, uh, lovely to be uh, brainstorming with you again, ma'am. Thank you. 
It was absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much. This was great. It was. It really was. And as long as we're doling out the gratitude, friends, thank you for hitting that play button. You guys complete the circuit. Uh, as awesome as it is to sit together, the four of us, and talk story, uh, the fact that you listened means that you caught the spark. The the viral contagion of creative mojo has leapt across the potosphere into your heart. If you're feeling that love, if you're feeling the, the mojo, juice pumping through your brain feel free to pay it forward share a, a facebook post or a twitter uh, uh tweets twitter tweet yes that's a thing uh yeah. spread the word let folks know about the archivos podcast network there's fabulosity happening here uh and friends i will tell you that uh, uh even though we just wrapped up a brilliant brainstorm if i do say so myself uh, this does not stop here. In 14 days, we're going to have another fabulous guest host filling our ears with wisdom and insight. Another courageous guest writer pitching a fabulous story for brainstorming. More Archivos podcast goodness for all, but it's 14 days. I know. Marie, help us out. 14 days. That's a long time. Can we, Is there anything we should be doing? There, there are many things you should be doing, to be <laughs> frank. Um, I'm going to say for something different, I usually uh, encourage the writing and the creativity, but I want you to refill your wells at this point. Mm. You have 14 days. I want you to find a book. Any book, the book that you really want to read right now that you're feeling in this moment, it's not a book that somebody's told you you needed to read because this is a book that you just really want to read and it can be in any genre. It can be fiction or nonfiction. Just go peruse those bookstores or those library shelves and find something that speaks to you and read it and find inspiration within those words, my friends. I think that's wonderful. Refill your well. Uh, mm -hmm. And it might not even be a book. It might be a uh, uh, binge watch watching you know, Santa Clarita Diet uh, uh, or, or watching that movie that you've been neglecting watching for so very long that you so desperately want to. Whatever it is, uh, uh, feed that desire uh, to immerse yourself into something. Uh, that is a wonderful, wonderful way to recharge your batteries and refill the well. Well done, yes. I will tell you, <laughs> friends, as I always do, you find what you're looking for. So look for that top shelf blue label goodness. Look for the lost Christmas present in the back of the tree. Look for loose change in the couch. If you look for this stuff, well, I can't promise the couch, but the rest of the stuff, if you look for it, you'll find it and it will be fabulous. We will see you in 14 days, my friends. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of Archivos Brainstorms is copyrighted 2017 by WonderThink Studios and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 4.0 International License. To find out what that means and how you can use this content in your own presentations, visit www.creativecommons.org. Theme music for this episode of Archivos Brainstorms was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown. Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation, or just learn more about the Archivos Podcast Network, visit our website at www.archivos.digital and click the podcast link. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot digital. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash archivospodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. 
And you can always email us at podcast at archivos.digital. Thanks for listening.